Um, Our first reading is from Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 25. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is in the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jews, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteousness will live the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of people, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of God, glory of the immortal God, for images made to look like a mortal human being, and bird, and animals, and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Our second reading is from Romans chapter 2, verses 17 to 24. So that's Romans chapter 2, verses 17 to 24. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, and if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convicted that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others do not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who should dog idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonour God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And our last reading is Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 20. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? No, not at all. For we have already made the change, made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin, as it is written. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is not what there is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their way. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Thanks, Chloe. Uh, Well, in October 1955, at Westminster Chapel in London, 
Dr. Martin Lord-Jones famously started preaching his way through Romans, the same thing that we're doing here. Uh, It took him 12 years and a grand total of 366 sermons, including 17 consecutive sermons on Romans 8, 28 to 30. Well, uh, we're tackling Romans in five weeks. They say uh, Gen Z has a shorter attention span, but I don't know where they get that idea from. But we're aiming to uh, to get through the whole lot in the next five weeks. And so I've included, hopefully you got this on your way in, uh, you should have got one of these. Uh, this little bookmarky thing has the kind of chapters of uh, Romans on it and kind of the breakdown of the chunks that we're going to take. Uh, if you didn't get one of these, uh, there's more on the welcome desk out the front. Um, you can stick that in Romans and that will help you to follow along uh, with how we're breaking it down, how we're going to try and tackle it. Uh, but to get into it, uh, what I want to take us to is those first verses that Chloe read uh, so well for us, uh, verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1, give us the overall theme of the letter of Romans. Let's read them out again. Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Uh, Lloyd-Jones gave five sermons uh, just on these two verses, and he says, uh, as he introduces uh, the letter, that no two verses are of greater importance in all of Scripture. That's a big call. I don't know if that's uh, entirely true. Uh, But they do point us to the big idea of Romans, that the gospel, the gospel reveals God's righteousness for Jew and Gentile. The gospel reveals God's righteousness for Jew and Gentile. And I want you to keep that in mind as we work our way through Romans. Uh, And really, that is at the heart of what we want to think about, righteousness. What is that? What does it mean? You might think, yeah, that's just like Christian speak. I don't like, why does that even matter? But I can tell you the question of righteousness is of eternal importance. We want to work this out. So let's start there. What does it mean to be righteous? What is uh, righteousness? Because we might think that a righteous person is a good person. Uh, Being righteous means being morally good. Uh, But that that is kind of it, but it's not quite right. The picture you need in your head is the picture of a courtroom, you know, with uh, uh, lawyers in place, a judge up the front, a person on the side who does the super fast typing uh, like that. All of that in place. Picture the scene. And you are the defendant. You're in the dock. And the charges get read out. And the judge declares you either guilty or not guilty. And that's what righteousness is. It's the declaration of innocence, that you are in the right. You're okay. You are innocent. You're justified. In fact, justified is the same word as righteousness in the Bible. We just have kind of two English words for it. 
Uh, but we need that scene because these uh, first few chapters play out like a legal drama. Chapters 1 to 3, uh, Paul's goal is to show that there is no one righteous. There is no one righteous. And so uh, first we get the case against the Gentiles and then we get the case against the Jews. I don't know if you noticed that as we read out. We kind of took these three sections. Uh, the first section uh, uses they, them, although they knew God, those Gentiles. But then uh, when we flicked across to chapter 2, um, it changes to you. Now, you, if you call yourself a Jew, uh, there's these two groups that get uh, addressed. Now, uh, in the ancient world, from a Jewish perspective, uh, the whole world was broken up into those two camps. Uh, you were either a Jew or you were a Gentile. Uh, Gentile was just the name they gave to everyone who wasn't a Jew. Um, so the Gentiles were the world that didn't know God. They didn't have Yahweh as their God. They didn't have the law of God. And so they were in a separate category in terms of relating to God. And it's really important for us to understand that distinction because Paul wants us to know that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you are. You're not okay with God. On your own, you're not okay with God, Jew or Gentile. There is no one righteous. So we're going to dig into this court case. First, the case against the Gentiles, then the case against the Jews. Uh, the case against the Gentiles uh, was uh, built on this problem of suppression. Uh, take a look with me from verse 18. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. There's the problem. They suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. If you think about that distinction between Jews who knew God, knew the law, you might ask the question, well, how is a Gentile meant to know about God? Well, uh, read on, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. See, even for Gentiles, even for Aussies like, like us, I'm a, I'm a Gentile, right? There are things that we can and should know about God. Not everything, but creation itself tells us about him, about his invisible qualities, his divine nature. That happened to a guy right here in Perth. Um, he was a Christian guy, um, just a secular Aussie, as secular as can be, um, just walking along the uh, beach up in the northern suburbs. And uh, one evening, sun was setting, and he just looked out and he just thought to himself, you know what, this is amazing. This is beautiful. This, where did this come from? How, like, how on earth is this possible? There, there must be a, a God or something to put this together. And he just happened to uh, live near a church, and so uh, that Sunday he walked 50 metres down the road 
and straight into Calorie Anglican Church. And he heard about the Creator God who had made him and loved him. And that was it. He became a Christian, just like that. And it was the beach that invited him to church. And that's right, isn't it? Isn't that right? You go camping somewhere miles away from the city and you just look up and you see the Milky Way and just stars everywhere and you think, wow, there must be a God beyond all this who I can worship. Or you don't think that. Because lots of people look up and they see balls of rock and gas and they don't give God any credit at all. And Romans says that's not an accident. Uh, Romans says that's a deliberate suppression of a clear truth. The right response is to glorify him, to thank him. But we just won't. Uh, You see it really clearly, in fact, in the way that people feel compelled to thank some higher power for their lives. Uh, There's this classic surf film called The Endless Summer. Um, It was made in 1966 and it's these two surfers who go around chasing the sun and they go looking for the perfect wave. And in the final credits of the film, it says, special thanks to old King Neptune for providing the waves in this film. They, they, they chased the summer around the world for two years. They surfed the best waves on the globe. And their instinct, their instinct was to say thank you. But instead of thanking the creator, they chose uh, the myth of King Neptune. Romans says it's a deliberate suppression of a clear truth. Now, this uh, section here in Romans uh, helps to answer some really important questions that people have about Christianity, Um, like the question of what about people who haven't heard, right? What about the the tribe in East Java that's never heard about Jesus? Or even closer to home, what about this the family down in Fremantle that's never met a real Christian? What about them? Do they just kind of automatically go to hell? People are concerned. These are real questions. That's a genuine question. And the great thing we can say from this passage is that people will be judged fairly. They'll be judged on what they know, not on what they don't know. People aren't condemned for not following Jesus if they've never heard of Jesus. But they are convicted on what they can know. God's eternal qualities that you can see from creation. See, the problem isn't that there's no information available. Uh, The problem is that the world suppresses it and in fact goes and worships other things. And so God's verdict is unrighteous. The case against the Gentiles is closed. They are guilty. And you can see that in the way that God pours out his anger on them right now in the present. Uh, Maybe not how you expect. Uh, It isn't kind of fire and brimstone raining down from heaven. Uh, There's these two repeated phrases in this section Uh, Three times we're told that the Gentiles exchanged something. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Three times we get an exchange and then three times we're told that God gave them over. There in verse 24, 26, 28. He hands us over to our own consequences. He gives us over to the exchange that we made. 
we exchange the truth of God for a lie. And so God hands us over to lies, to futile thinking, to a million different fake gods and empty religions and other things to worship. He hands us over. As you read through this section, you'll notice that sexuality is part of that too. We exchange God-given sexuality for our own desires and so God gives us over to exactly that, to sexual impurity, it says in verse 24. And isn't that exactly what we see in the world around us? Our world is utterly confused about what good and God-given sexuality looks like. God gives us over to homosexuality, to pornography, to sexual violence, to lust. Now, even though we're we're really flying at pace uh, over all of Romans, we do need to pause here because we have to notice that uh, this comment about sexuality and God's wrath being poured out, it's it's not individualised. If you're someone who experiences same-sex attraction, or someone who struggles with lust or pornography, Romans isn't saying that you are particularly wicked or that homosexuality is somehow more wrong than other sexual sin or that God's especially angry at something that you have done. No, what we need to notice is is this is corporate. Our whole world faces this disordered sexuality and we're all caught up in it. We should mourn that that's the case. We should mourn that we find it so difficult. We should mourn that we uh, see our sexuality uh, broken in so many ways. And of course, God calls us not to follow those desires. But we shouldn't be shocked or surprised to find that our sexual desires don't fit God's good design. Because sexuality is just another part of our broken world that needs to be redeemed. Needs to be redeemed. Uh, We have to move on from here, but if you'd like to talk more about uh, what Romans has to say on this topic, um, we we don't have time to go into every part of it, but I'd love to talk with you further. So uh, please come and contact me, chat with Ez offline, you can uh, send us a message. We'd love to chat that through with you. But that is the case against the Gentiles. They are guilty, guilty of suppressing the truth and now living with the consequences of doing exactly that. But what about for the Jews? See, part two of this section is the case against the Jews because the Jews are God's people, right? They have the law. They know God. You think they're in the box seat to be righteous. They're going to get righteousness. But they really don't. The case against them revolves around hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Uh, Look at the problem there, chapter 2, verse 1. We didn't read this bit, but uh, have a look. Chapter 2, verse 1. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same. So you hold others to this standard, but you don't keep that standard. Or further down, verse 21, you who preach against stealing, do you steal? See, they have the law, but they don't keep the law. 
They know what's required, but they just don't do what's required. And so just like the Gentiles, they won't be declared righteous. Have a look further down, verse 13. Uh, Paul says, For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who who will be declared righteous. They don't actually measure up with what they know. And doesn't that fit our experience of the world? You know? Are, are you as generous as you would like to be? No? Who is, right? That's just a simple example, but it's true. We don't even meet our own standards. We know what's required, and we would happily kind of hold everyone else to that, but we don't do it. That's the Jewish problem. Their hypocrisy. But you might stop and think, why, why though would the Jews think that just having the law is enough? Why would they even think that without actually keeping it? But they did have a sense of entitlement. Uh, in, in Paul's day, they had this uh, special identity as God's chosen people. And so they were able to look outside and look at the Gentile world and think, well, they don't have the law. At least we're better than them. And it's worth us uh, pausing at this point and reflecting uh, because that sense of entitlement comes quick and it comes easy. Are you a Christian? Do you live in a pagan world uh, full of swearing and drinking and sleeping around? I know that you do. I know that uh, the world around is like that. Man, it's good that you're not, not like them. Can you see how easy it is to feel righteous because I'm better than them? I don't do what they do. But Paul really wants to pin our Jewish people on this point. Verse 22, he says, You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you watch it on TV dramas? See, hypocrisy is a huge danger for us too, people in the church who do have a sense of being close to God and we can think that because of uh, just coming here, because of holding the name Christian, that somehow we're better than others. Hear this warning. Being better than the next person does not make you righteous. It makes you judgmental. That's what Paul is exposing the Jews for here. They're quick to judge the Gentiles, but they don't realise that they're in the same boat because they don't meet their own standards. But Romans wants to point out to us that God's judgment is fair. It is fair. It is based on truth, verse 2, chapter 2. It's according to what they have done. Verse 6, God does not show favoritism. Verse 11, there's no special treatment for God's people if they don't keep the law. And so it draws us to the conclusion, the point of this whole section, there is no one righteous. Uh, Have a look at Paul's conclusion there, verse 9. What shall we conclude then? 
Do we have any advantage? Do we Jews have any advantage? Do we have anything going for us? No, not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. So important. Jews and Gentiles alike. There is no one righteous, not even one. There's 206 countries being represented at the Olympics right now in Tokyo. People from all over the world, different cultures, different backgrounds. What do they all have in common? There is no one righteous, not even one. They might be good people who do good things. Certainly amazing uh, accomplishments happening there. But Romans says they are not right before God. On their own, they either suppress what they know about him and don't honour him as they should. Or they do know him, but they just don't do what they know he wants. There is no one righteous. And that's really the, the big argument of these first few chapters of Romans. And I think if we can get that, if we can get that into our head, that there is no one righteous, then that is, that's going to be a revolution for us for two reasons, two things that I want to uh, point out. It shows us where we stand with God and it shows us where we stand with other people. Where we stand with God and where we stand with other people. It shows us where we stand with God on your own You are not right with God. It's unavoidable. Jew and Gentile, both, all alike under the power of sin by their own means. Uh, When I was 18, um, so precisely the age that some of you are here tonight, uh, I got caught up for jury duty. Uh, It was a fraud trial. Uh, It went for three days. And at the end of the trial, I had to stand up and tell the judge that we found the defendant guilty. Uh, It was a sobering thing to do. And for me, it's been a constant reminder that there is such a thing as judgment. There is such a thing as righteousness and unrighteousness. A guilty verdict and a not guilty verdict. It's not the case that nothing matters. That you can do what you want. We're just all floating on a rock here in space. No. God will judge everyone. And the verdict is guilty. There is no one righteous. These chapters show us where we stand with God on our own terms. Is that you? Have you worked out where you stand with God? Are you happy with where you stand with God? On our own, we're not right with God. Uh, But do remember back to the start, those two verses that Martin Lloyd-Jones said were the greatest in all scripture. That's true. There is no one righteous. But in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. That's what Romans wants to tell us. 
where there is a righteousness that comes not from us, but from God. It's exciting. Now, these chapters show us uh, where we stand with God and they show us where we stand with other people. Where we stand with other people. Uh, Equal. Equal in need. See, the problem for the Jews was they thought they were better than the Gentiles, better than sinners, better than those guys. But if we can get this, it'll be a revolution for us, a revolution for our thinking. There is no one righteous. Actually, all alike are under the power of sin. And if we can understand that, it will help us to see other people differently. Not to look down on them. Not to think that we're better than them. But to recognise that, like them, we have the same need. The need for righteousness that doesn't come from ourselves. See, have you got a friend who just gets wildly drunk, just sleeping around, uh, damaging relationships that he's in. And bring him to church. There is no one righteous. There is no one righteous. Not him, not us, none of us. Not on our own. Have you got a friend who's top of her med class, uh, volunteers at the Starlight Foundation, captain of her volleyball team, Tell her the gospel. She's not righteous. There's no one righteous. Not even one. None of us are. Not on our own. And if we can get that idea into our hearts, then we'll be able to treat people with a radical equality. We will see people the same. We'll know that all alike are under the power of sin. And with them, we'll be desperate to find out where righteousness really comes from. But for that, we'll need to come back next week. Nah, just read ahead. It's great.